Hello everybody and welcome to episode 25 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai and I'm the editor-in-chief of Auto Trader. And my name is Dan Alika and I am Auto Trader's road test editor. And it's April now, which means it's Earth Month. Cool. It used to be a day, now it's a whole, whole month. month. Yeah. Um, it's because there are so many other days. It's right? true. There's like National day, Donut Day. Pancake Day. I want day. a donut month. Don't forget your belt day. So it was like, why not just take the move on to the month? Soon it'll be Earth Year. Earth Year. Yeah. Earth Decade. Yeah. 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 We're moving. We're trending in that direction. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. world's on fire. We have to do our little part to fix it. <laughs> That's why we need a whole month. I know. It's because there's so much going on. There's so much wrong that we need a whole month to fix it yeah. or at least tell people what we need to fix well and so it's it's a good month for us at own the road with auto trader because evs are really just gaining a lot of steam a lot of people are interested um and so this episode we're going to play a game where we type into google are evs or do evs or can evs um and we're gonna see what your most asked questions are should we also do like the most like the stupidest questions because i'm sure there's a whole bunch of those i do want to do an episode where we go through the comment section oh, of boy. facebook and it's YouTube. almost like those yeah like one of those um you know mean tweets yes just because we get so many ridiculous comments on there and it because it's like a really it's a topic that people get really it's heated about. It's a lightning about. rod for ridiculousness. It is really what it is. is. We get, yeah, some of the comments, and luckily I don't have Facebook, and I never have, but Jody will occasionally message me <laughs> to be like, how about this outrageous claim? And it's just somebody who's all like hot under the collar about EVs. But who also clearly doesn't know what they're talking about, Or right? didn't watch the video. Remember that one that it, I did the, the thing about how like the public infrastructure, and right. it was like... Charging in public, what's next? And it's like, what? This is... Yeah, so that person basically thought that Dan was complaining that he wanted to charge in public, but behind a closed door, which does, that doesn't make any sense. And we'll, we'll do another episode where we go through the comments because it is a really ridiculous situation that we find ourselves in. But I meant this, in. like how many, you know, if you, if you do like, I'm sure if you typed in like REVs, somewhere on, on that like Google autofill, it's going to be like, bad for the environment oh, or like yeah i'm like, sure there are a lot of those oh for sure there are um so we're gonna try to pick ones that are more relevant today um and we'll do the shady episode another day all right cool um but but yeah we know that this is where the whole the whole industry is going towards electric vehicles we know Can that i also say sorry to interrupt but i was just having this conversation in a group chat with some friends of mine about you know, the, the need to go zero emissions and the idea, my friend, one of my friends said that he was still like holding out for hydrogen. Uh, and he was, he's convinced that the industry is going to get there eventually. But I said to him, like, it, I don't see it happening because it's almost as if the industry, you know, picked its, its, way it we kind of put all our eggs in that ev basket the move yeah the move to hydrogen if that were the case if that were going to be the case should have happened a long time ago as opposed to like let's say you know in that kind of five to eight year range um yes there are a few hydrogen fuel cell vehicles on the on the market but they're limited to where they're sold like in the states it's mostly california in canada it's bc and quebec so you have yeah. the um, 
what is it, the Hyundai Nexo, yep. which is a hydrogen fuel and cell Toyota crossover. Toyota has one. And then Toyota has the Mirai. Um, and those ones are sold because there's no infrastructure. And then the other side of it that I, that I pointed out is that the big reason why is because you can plug a car in. Yes, it'll take an astronomical amount of time, but you could technically plug an electric car into a household out, like a 120 volt household mm -hmm. outlet. You can't do that with hydrogen. You need a very no. specific hydrogen fueling station. You need a specific nozzle. You can't just go, well, I'm going to pump hydrogen at home. You're going to blow up your house. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's hydrogen in theory is a very good idea. I love, it. I love it because the only emissions is water. Like when you burn hydrogen, the, the only thing that comes out of your tailpipe is water, which is really cool. We but missed the our, boat. our last episode, we, we talked about how grumpy we were about public EV charging. Can you imagine? how grumpy we would be with the hydrogen fueling infrastructure no. because it's even less. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I, like, my point is just that all our eggs are in the EV exactly. basket. Of course, not in the current state. We wouldn't be, we would drive, let's say you bought a hydrogen car in Ontario, you would be able to drive the 700 kilometers or whatever it can cover on that single tank, and then it would be a brick because there's literally nowhere in this province no. to, to refuel. So it's like, what I'm saying is one for one, if we were going to be, you know, a hydrogen focused industry or headed in the direction of hydrogen, that move should have happened five to eight years ago. Right. It's too late. I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't see it happening. But I also think we're at the very entry point of electrification still. We've talked before about stuff like solid state batteries. We need to reach that point right now. The way I look at it is it's still early adoption. Even mm -hmm. after all these years of proper EVs being on the market, we are in the equivalent of that phase of, let's say, like the 19 teens, right? Where people, some people, or a lot of people were still using like horse and buggy mm -hmm. to get around. And if you had a car... People would surely, you know, kind of poke fun at you and say, why are you wasting your time and, and, and effort with that thing? It's just a trend. It'll go like, away. <laughs> and, you know, because back then they were unreliable, they were janky, they were inefficient, they wouldn't start. There's all those problems. Now we're just seeing the electric version of that, right? Where the infrastructure is terrible. You can't, the anxiety is still very real. It's a whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, that's why we do episodes like this, because we know that EV life is a very new thing for a lot of Canadian drivers. So understandably, a lot of you have questions. There's a lot of confusion around it. Um, and so we're here to try to demystify EVs for you and kind of alleviate that confusion um, because it's, it's really not as scary as you might have heard. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, but let's get started. We have a lot of questions to go through. Okay. So the first one that popped up in Google, and I think this is very relevant to us as Canadian drivers, are EVs good in the snow? Yes. But? Um, the, so the, the kind of short answer is yes, um, especially all-wheel drive. Um, so dual or, or tri or quad motor. Um, EVs that have all-wheel drive are going to be very good because there's just a lot of traction and you don't have to wait for that mechanical buildup uh, because it's electric. I always say it's like a dimmer switch. So you're just adjusting how much torque you want to send to the wheels. Um, the weight can be a pro and a con. Mm -hmm. Electric vehicles weigh more than their gas powered counterparts because batteries and, and electric motors are heavy. So that means in 
deep snow, yeah, it could become a problem. Right. But then the flip side of it, there's a lot of situations. It's the same reason why, you know, so many people out there still to this day put bags of sand or kitty litter in the beds of their trucks during the wintertime. It's to get more weight over the drive wheels. Mm -hmm. So that on ice or on snow, you'll be able to get that traction down. So EVs actually have that in their favor, that all the weight of the electrical components yep. actually allows them to get the traction down. And the other thing I wanted to point out is that, yes, they are good in snow, but the, the thing that'll make a bigger difference for you as a Canadian driver is having proper winter tires. Oh, yeah. Um, even if an EV has all-wheel drive, we still recommend that you have dedicated winter tires because that is what will give you... Um, more grip. There's nowhere, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, even in, you know, and not this year, this this past winter notwithstanding, um, where Vancouver got hammered with snowstorms, even in a place like Vancouver with a pretty temperate climate, like, you should still have winter tires because it's not just about driving in snow, it's about driving in ice, it's about driving just in cold weather, Right. Traditional all season and summer tires get very, the rubber compound gets very hard. Rubber is supposed to be soft and grippy. You don't have that when the temperature drops. So below, kind of the rule of thumb is below an average ambient temperature of seven or eight degrees Celsius, you should have dedicated winter tires. Um, and yeah, there's just nowhere in Canada that you shouldn't be running them from, let's say, November 1st to on or about the end of March. Okay, and so this leads into our next question, which is, do EVs need special tires? Um, no. And you Really? Yeah. No. So what I've heard is that EVs are heavier, so they need tires that can withstand that extra weight, but they also use low rolling resistance tires to help their fuel efficiency. Yes, but that's, that's, a, that's a choice, not a need. Right, okay. Right, low rolling resistance, yes, it is more efficient. Tire companies make low rolling resistance tires specific for electric vehicles, but they are not a necessity. And that I think is a big, and cool. prime examples are, I don't know, the Ford Mustang Mach-E GT Performance Edition, right? That that runs performance tires. The same thing with like the GMC Hummer EVs, those run crazy off-road tires that you would find on, you know, an off-road pickup truck or, or something like a Ford Bronco. So it's not, it's not a need, it's wise, but it's not an absolute, like you don't, if you went to a tire shop because you had a blown out tire and they didn't have one of those low rolling resistance tires, it's not like you'd be like, oh no, I'm in big trouble now. You could still put on a regular tire. It's Perfect. just, you might notice a little bit less efficiency overall, but even then I think it's pretty, you know, pretty moderate overall, the difference you'll see. Okay, cool, good answer. Uh, do EVs work in the cold? Yes. Yes, but there's always a lot of these questions will be yes, but. <laughs> yeah, caveats galore. Um, this is a prime example. This week, I'm driving the Kia Nero EV, which is re redesigned for 2023. Uh, I drove the previous gen just last winter. It was at the start of winter, and now this one, I've been driving it at the end of winter. Um, so last year it was good. I liked it a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't lose, it was only rated for 385 kilometers, but I saw very minimal range loss. Um, this week when I picked it up on a full charge and this thing has like 5,000 kilometers on it, this tester. So it's well beyond kind of the break-in period. Um, 
when I picked it up, it only had 303 kilometers and it's supposed to have 407. So that's a good 25%, which Jody and I have said in the past, people that have asked us questions about range loss and saying they've seen 40 to 50%. I've never seen that high. The kind of 20 to 30% is pretty normal. That's what I'm seeing in this Nero EV. To me, it's very disappointing. Um, because that's more than I'd like to see. And realistically, it is that great, you know, debate, right? About, well, how much do you actually drive? And, you know, your commute to work. And that's what we reference and other people always reference. Well, your commute's only 25 or 50 kilometers. That's fair. But we all drive out. Of, you love going like antique shopping. You drive out of town kind of spontaneously. All the time. And to have to add on that time, when I did my evaluation drive, when I picked this this Nero up, I was like, I want to kind of see how far I can go. So I was heading up towards Collingwood and the range anxiety was out of control. Now, it, it was very accurate. When I finished my drive, I did 249 kilometers and I had 54 kilometers of range remaining. So that's exactly 303, which is what it told me I would have when I left. So I was really impressed because some vehicles you see drastic range mm -hmm. loss, like real-time range loss. But that still doesn't change the fact, and I've referenced this before, last year KPMG did that study. 79% of Canadians said they wouldn't consider an EV unless it could travel 400 kilometers or more on a single charge. That is totally reasonable to me. So only being able to do 303 it's is... a big disappointment for me. It's huge. And it would not work for my life. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, that's kind of sad that it can only do 300 and kilometers. It, it's not just... I had the same problem with the Bolt EV. I had the same problem with the Mercedes EQB SUV. It's just, it's less of a problem when you drive a vehicle with a bigger battery pack, of course. But the question comes down to... You know, yeah, okay, gas-powered vehicles are less efficient in the in the wintertime. But I've never driven a gas-powered vehicle that has been 25 or 30% less efficient than it is in the summertime. Yeah. And that's the reality. And, and that also comes back to what you said earlier about solid-state batteries. Yeah. Because what, when we hit that point where that becomes the, the norm in EVs, solid-state batteries are a lot less volatile. Uh, yeah. And they worked regardless of what the weather conditions are. Exactly. So I think that will help um, address a lot of the issues we have now with EVs. Because solid state, it's like a glass or a ceramic, you know, that's the, the chemistry. Um, with lithium ion and lithium polymer batteries, quite simply, like the electrons just don't move as quickly in the wintertime. It's like anything, right? It, it just kind of, you know that physical turn, it kind of gets gummed up. It's the same thing with like, I don't know, engine oil, right? You run thinner oil in the winter time because it's it's not gonna get kind of gummed up and, and slow down the way that your engine should be operating. Electrons work the same way, but it still is a big problem with EVs, especially if you don't have home charging. Jody and I both live in buildings and we can't hook up at home. So we rely on public infrastructure. And then that is last week's episode. And go listen to our angry rants about that. It's true. It's a good episode. Um, yeah. So moving on, are EVs reliable? That's an interesting question because typically when, when Dan and I are testing EVs, we only have them for a week. So we can't really comment about reliability. But 
EVs do have less moving parts, which technically means there should be less to go wrong. But the other issue is that they also run a lot of software. And I think when we talk about reliability and EVs, it's how reliable is that software? And we've all experienced, you know, glitches on our phones and on our laptops. And I think it's reasonable to expect that to happen to a certain extent in EVs as well. Totally. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, right, again, like we mentioned earlier, the, the life of EVs, it's, they're still very young. So we haven't seen a lot like, yes, you know, you, you do have these older like Nissan Leafs and early Teslas and that sort of stuff, but there, the reliability is still not, when you look at a gas powered vehicle, again, you know, we have this massive, you know, body of evidence of how long they should last, um, brands that have been doing it. You kind of, those reputations, like Toyota has a great reputation for reliability because over the course of the last, you know, 50 or 60 years, it's just a proven track record of reliability. Whereas EVs, there aren't 50 or 60 years worth of EVs, um, at least, you know, kind of mass, mass produced EVs to say, oh yes, brand A builds really reliable electric vehicles. But to Jody's point, less moving parts, regenerative braking means you're not going to use the mechanical brakes, which actually has a kind of the opposite effect mm -hmm. that if you don't use your mechanical brakes enough, you are going to have to service or replace them from lack of use, right? So that's one of those things where when you have regenerative, just like people like EV owners will always tell you, oh, don't, don't charge to 100% all the time because of battery degradation. Don't use the highest charging speeds because mm -hmm. of battery degradation. The same applies to, to the braking system, the mechanical brakes, use them. Don't solely, I don't know, let's say you're driving to work, use the regen brakes until the last few kilometers and then switch over to the mechanical brakes yeah. just to exercise them, kind of get that coating off, that rust that builds up over time. You don't want any of those parts to seize. So that's kind of my my advice. That's a good tip. Um, this one, this is a good question, um, and there's a couple of different ways we can tackle this. So are EVs cheaper than gas? And so this is a question we get asked a lot, and this is something that people argue about a lot in the comment section. So if we take an EV and a gas-powered counterpart, like let's use the Hyundai Kona as an example because it's one of the rare ones where you can get it as an EV or a pure internal combustion, right? Yeah. So the EV version will be more expensive outright than the gas-powered version. Yeah. However, when you look at per kilometer driven, the EV is way cheaper to run. And so you end up saving a lot of money. So especially if you charge at home, that's especially the big, so. Yeah. yeah. So because electricity is right now is going to be it's cheaper than gas. Um, and so don't look at it like, oh, it's it's going to take me X amount of years of driving an EV to get my value out of it. Like, don't don't look at it like that because it won't make sense that way. And that's not the way you should look at a car anyway, because cars will always depreciate in value. Yes. So it doesn't really make sense to, to think about it like that. But looking at the Hyundai Kona to drive 100 kilometers in a gas one, um, the average is about ten dollars and ninety four cents just based on average gas prices, right? If you charge at home and you drive 100 kilometers um, in a Hyundai Kona EV, according to national average electricity prices, you're paying $2.44 yeah. per 100 kilometers. And let's say you drive 20,000 kilometers in a year. 
Um, in the Kona gas-powered one, you're going to end up spending uh, about 2100 bucks in gas. Um, in the EV, and if you can charge at home, you're only spending about $488. Okay. So in a year, that's a savings of 1700 bucks. Yeah, it's significant. And then even when you factor in, so the other day in this Nero, um, I stopped at an Electrify Canada station and I hooked up to 150 kilowatt, which technically you can do up to 350 in the in the new Nero EV, but the the gains are very marginal compared to doing 100 kilowatts. Mm -hmm. It's literally like, I think it's something like 43 minutes to charge from 10 to 80% on a uh, 350 kilowatt charger and 46 minutes on a hundred kilowatt. But I had to take the 150 because the other stations were, were occupied. Uh, but anyways, that was expensive. Mm -hmm. Like it was something like 56 bucks and I was shocked. Wow. I went from, I think I want to say it was 18 to 99% cost like 56 bucks. And I was shocked, but even gas prices today, you would spend more than 56 bucks to get the equivalent yep. of going from, you know, call it a fifth of a tank to a full tank in a Nero. And yes, you might get a little bit more mileage out of that because in the winter time, mm -hmm. this thing, like I mentioned, has been struggling with range. But even so, that's, that is reasonable for what you're getting. And if you're only doing it on the occasion that, I don't know, you're road tripping it out to Windsor or something like that and you need to stop once or twice. Yeah. You know, whatever. That's the cost of driving. Yeah, so even if you're using public charging, it's still going to be cheaper. And um, then factor in what we just talked about with, you know, the the fact that you don't need to do oil changes. Schedule routine maintenance is less frequent than it is mm -hmm. in a gas-powered vehicle. Yep, so you have savings on top of other savings. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, stop looking at it like it's going to take me X amount of years because that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and also like be real with yourself. Would you gas or electric? Are you planning to keep any vehicle for that long to see that, like to realize that return of like, oh, it's costing me this much. You know, the average Canadian isn't keeping a car for 10 or 12 or 15 yeah, years true. anyways. Yeah. We, we, you know, nowadays we go through, there's a reason why we sell you know, we went from not that long ago, like less than a decade ago, I think we just broke a million new vehicle sales in Canada. And then the pandemic obviously affected things with the supply issues, but it wasn't, it was like shortly thereafter that we reached the 2 million mark. We like to buy new vehicles. How many people do you know that go through every three or four or five years? Yeah, they just lease them and keep going. So it's, you know, so you don't, trying to justify um, your purchase or your or not purchasing an EV because of this weird, like you want to hit this perfect mark of like, well, my return is finally paying off. That's not how any vehicle works these days. No, because they will always depreciate. That's yeah. just how cars work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a funny comment on, I think it was on Facebook and it was about uh, an EV article that we wrote on Auto Trader. And they were like, oh, just wait until the communist government turns off the electricity and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, Where does the, that come from? The, the mindset is so bizarre. Like the anti-EV, you know, movement, if you want to call it that, is like, just like anything, I mean, there's really no re reasoning with, with these people. They've made their minds up. But let's be real. So, so the conspiracy here is that the government is going to 
you know, wean us off of gas and diesel. Wait until we all drive electric vehicles and then shut the electricity off. So first of all, that means no power anywhere. And second of all, what would the economy do? It would instantly tank. And how would they benefit from that, it just, right? It's nonsense, right? It's stupid people saying stupid things. We should do a whole episode on EV conspiracy theories. Oh I think that God. would be really fun. I'll have to wear and my we'll tinfoil hat. <laughs> but we'll demystify all of them. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So we only have time for a couple more questions. Okay. Um, this one's really funny, but I actually think there's a there's a good answer for it. Why are EVs so ugly? Uh, coefficient of drag. Yep. It, it comes down to aerodynamics. And yeah. so if you look at the new Hyundai Ioniq 6, it's a really good example. It looks like a bar of soap. Yuck. Um, and it's because it, it just slides through the air a lot more efficiently. And it's, because of that, it will allow you to drive further on a single charge. Yeah, it's like that one is some, I want to say, I don't remember the exact numbers because there's a difference in Europe and in Korea. You can buy it with um, camera door mirrors as mm. opposed to proper ones. Where in, whereas in, in Canada and the US, you still have to have door mirrors. So I want to say it's something like 0.21 or 0.22 coefficient of drag. It's one of the lowest... Um, so essentially the most slippery cars in Canada. Um, if you look at this new Nero, it has these little tiny vents just behind the rear doors. And that kind of creates this air curtain where the air, you know, channels through these little slits behind the doors and out behind the taillights. And it creates this really narrow slipstream behind the vehicle. So the coefficient of drag in this Nero, which is very kind of boxy mm -hmm. and upright, is only 0.29. That's great. Which is very important because that's how, just like a gas-powered vehicle, you know, if you take a look at something like, I don't know, a Toyota Corolla is obviously going to slip through the air, you know, a little more smoothly than a Ford F-150, right? But these little tricks are what engineers and designers are trying to do to make to maximize the efficiency and aerodynamics of EVs. Yeah, and but that's so why they're ugly. I think that sometimes maybe when you're looking at an EV, because we're not used to it not needing certain features, like for example, they don't need a grill where air can pass through. So I think a lot of them just look different, and they're not necessarily ugly. We just have to get used to them. But no, some no, of them are ugly. ugly. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of ugly ones out there. Um, and then and then one more is why are EVs so expensive? And really Technology. the reason is because batteries are expensive. Yeah. Batteries and electric motors. You've got to think about the democratization of, you know, internal combustion technology. Um, first of all, rarely, like, yes, certain technology in a gas engine is proprietary, right? So it's like each brand or each automaker um, or supplier is going to have a proprietary direct injection method, that sort of stuff. They patent certain things, but they're all open patents, right? Whether you're looking at like the Atkinson cycle engine or a diesel engine, those are all, anyone can build those engines. Whereas electric motors, they're proprietary. They're still, you know, protected by, you know, trademarks and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, or not trademarks, whatever, whatever you, um, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, where it's, you know, it's somebody's invention. Um, oh, patent. That's what I was looking for. They're patented technologies, and you have to buy the rights to use those electric motors. Same thing with batteries. Panasonic is a big battery supplier. LG Chem is a big battery supplier. But those are patented battery mm -hmm. technologies that cost a lot of money. 
as EVs expand in the marketplace and more people buy them, the cost is going to come down just like gas powered cars a yep. hundred years ago. Yeah. And it's just, it hasn't hit that economies of scale thing exactly. yet. Like EVs are still a very small portion of what an automaker will sell every year. Yeah. Um, and so until that tipping point, um, the prices are still going to be pretty high, but they should only get better with time yeah. as the technology gets cheaper, as the automakers get more experience with and mass the, manufacturing them, the prices should come down. And, you know, Nissan is is a brand that's really pushing towards solid state batteries and said the, the cost will come down significantly once we hit that technology. And that's why I said earlier, this is still early adoption phase. This is still, you know, a lot of guinea pigs where it's, it's kind of trial and error right now still to this point evs are still in that trial trial and error phase got it so today's ask an expert question comes from maroon who's a loyal listener who has sent in questions before so thank you so much for your support hi i love the podcast and i'm always looking forward to the next one uh since tesla reduced their price on the model 3 i decided to purchase it and i'm expecting to receive it on the 22nd of march so by this time you should already have it so congrats on your new car car. um as you know you can drive an ev with either one pedal or two my question is the following does driving with two pedals create the same regenerative braking as driving with one pedal thanks for taking my question it does not first of all like jody said congrats on the new car um, I hope, you know, you're, you're kind of making that adjustment. I hope you're realizing those savings that we just talked about, um, you know, and people like you are really what we need to kind of be champions of electrification and show your friends and neighbors and, and coworkers that the transition is easy and, and necessary. Um, the simple answer is no, right? So using the brake pedal in an electric vehicle engages the mechanical brakes, whereas regenerative braking so the one pedal driving that you talked about, that is using the electric motors to spin in reverse and harvest kinetic energy that would otherwise be lost and put that into the battery pack. So you really do want to use one pedal driving uh, as often as possible in your EV to maximize range, to maximize efficiency. But like I said earlier, every once in a while, it doesn't have to be a daily thing, but every once in a while, make sure to engage those mechanical brakes just to work them out a little bit and make sure that they don't seize up on you. You're not going to see it quickly. It's not like it's going to happen within a month or whatever, but you know, realistically, the average Canadian, you, you, you're only servicing your brakes once every couple of years, whereas in an EV, it can accelerate that timeline very quickly yep. unless you're using them here and there just to, just to kind of get the, get the rust off. Great question, though, Maroon. Um, if you have any more questions about your new life with your Tesla Model 3, please let us know. You know, we already know where to reach us. Um, and we have another question from Stephen. Um, I just watched your podcast regarding premium versus regular fuel. Yep. I recently purchased a used 2020 Civic Sport Touring. Yep. I did some research online and found that it takes regular fuel. When I went to fill up for the first time, I was surprised to see premium recommended 87 minimum on the fuel door. I've been putting in 91, but after watching your podcast, I'm wondering if I need to. Thanks no. again for your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I mean, I, I don't mean that. Do 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 what you feel um, is right. But if it's saying, you know, premium recommended and not premium required, then definitely go with the regular grade gas. Save yourself whatever Jody talked about last time. You know, it was like 16 bucks mm-hmm. um, a tank. 
that that's yeah. significant. So I would if if I were driving that car, I would be putting 87 octane in the tank. Um, no judgment if you want to keep doing 91. Just I wouldn't personally do it, and it's not required so yeah you can comfortably skip it it's not really going to affect your performance very much it'll no. save you some more money if you use especially not fuel. in something like a civic yeah right we talked about it you can go back to that episode that that you referenced um certain vehicles will perform differently on a higher higher grade gas but the Civic is not going to be one of those cars. Thanks for your question, Stephen. Um, if any of you have questions you would like to ask Dan or, not, or I, you could email expert at trader.ca. Um, and yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Drive safe, and we'll see you next time. See you guys.